Luke 2, please. Luke 2. We've already been there. We'll read it one more time this morning. Luke chapter number 2. Thank you for your participation in the service. I trust that the Lord has spoken to your heart. Several different places in the, in the Bible reading and in the hymns have stirred my heart in ways that I hadn't experienced before. I trust that you experience the same. Luke chapter number 2. By the way, the video we shot, we shot on Sunday night at our missions night, Carol sent that out yesterday. We've got quite a few responses back from the missionaries. We'll include those in the bulletin either uh, next week or so on. Uh, people of the missionaries have thoroughly enjoyed that video, and I appreciate your uh, taking the time to uh, make that. Luke chapter number two. You ought to almost be able to quote this by now. So if you can, go ahead. Here we go. Luke chapter number 2, verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone in his own city. And Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, in the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid, them, laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Christmas is a time full of traditions. Some of the traditions are global. Some of the traditions are national. Some of them are local. And some of those traditions are peculiar to your family alone. Most of them have no meaning. Well, if they did have a meaning, that was all so long back that nobody actually knows why. We do these things because that's what you do at Christmas. You've always done it at Christmas, and that's why we do it. Yesterday, I spent the morning assembling Christmas trees. Kelly, last year after Christmas, asked people if they had, she put it on Facebook, anybody have any Christmas trees they don't want. I need them for my wedding next year. You'd be surprised at how many people didn't want their Christmas tree last year. And I got the privilege of storing them in my garage for the last year. And yesterday I got the privilege of assembling with the girls around 40 Christmas trees. We won't get into all that. But let me ask you, does that mean that 40-some people will not have a Christmas tree this year? You know it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that at least 40 people in this community decided they need a shorter, a wider, a newer, a different tree of some variety. Because we all have a Christmas tree in our house at Christmas time. Why? I don't know. 
I guess somebody could look it up on YouTube and, or, or the Internet and find out why the first guy did, but that's not why you did it. You know why you did it? Because that's what you did last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that, and you did that when you were a kid and your mom did that. I don't know why we do it, but it's what we do at Christmas. We put a tree in the house. It's the same thing with lights on the house and wreaths on the door and stockings on the fireplace and candy canes. We might blame the gift giving on the wise men, but I guarantee you none of you were thinking about the wise men when you were melting your credit card at the mall as you swiped it so many times. None of you were thinking about the wise men, so we can't blame that on them really either. We do these things because... That's what you do at Christmas. Now, all things being equal, most of it is harmless and actually pretty enjoyable. From our vantage point in 2021, we look back at the first Christmas. And it's hard to not see it through the eyes of tinsel and colored lights and to the traditional trappings of the season. It's hard to not see it that way. But the truth is, for most of the participants, that first Christmas came without any warning at all. They had no time to prepare. And for almost the entire world, and even some of the participants in it, it went without notice entirely. However, these participants in this first Christmas in their responses, we find traditions that are still being carried out by people everywhere. Most likely, you this morning are participating in some of these early traditions. Title of this morning's message, Which Christmas Tradition Are You Following? Which Christmas Tradition Are You Following? Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We need you so desperately. You would think that after all you have done for us, we would be able to carry on by ourselves. But it's just not true, Father. We cannot take the next step. We not, cannot take the next breath without you. Our lives are so intertwined with thee, and it can be no other, and we desire no other. And we ask that you would carry us forth in these next few moments, speaking to us by thy spirit. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We just spent the last 45 minutes or so reading and singing the Christmas story. There was nothing added to the story it's the same exact story as you heard when you were a little child. The characters are not hard to spot. You know them all by heart. You know each part that they played in the event and the way the events took place and the order and all of that. You know almost all of this. But this morning I'd like to look at the traditions that are still being carried out in their honor. Some good, some not so good. So let's look at these Christmas characters and the tradition that they added. And I take that as kind of tongue-in-cheek, but you'll understand. The innkeeper. The innkeeper. You don't, know, you don't know much about this guy. 
We don't know much about the innkeeper. We don't know if he's married or single. We don't actually know if it's a man or a woman. The Bible doesn't say much about him. But have you ever thought through? There's a lot of mean things have been said about the, this person. He was heartless. He was cruel. He was this. He was that. The Bible doesn't say much about him at all. But have you ever stopped to put yourself into his world? To think about life as he was living it at that moment. Why were Mary and Joseph in the stable? Because there was no room in the inn. Now, does this mean that the inn was being remodeled or a tornado had come through and they were just short on rooms, it was just the, other, the maid hadn't cleaned? That's not what was taking place here. The inn was chuck full of people. Why? They were all having to be taxed, and so they're all moving around, and everybody's traveling, and so it's packed. Now, think about a packed inn, and you can't think about the holiday inn or that kind of thought process. You've got to put yourself back in the day. What does this man's world look like at this moment? Two things we know about this guy at this moment in his life. One, he is extremely busy. He is an innkeeper, which means they were serving food and they were doing all of these things. He is extremely busy. And number two, he's making money. An empty inn does not make any money, but a full inn is making money. So he is extremely busy and he's making money. Now, put yourself in that. You're just working as fast as you can go, doing, you've got problems everywhere. You're trying to keep everybody happy. You're trying to do, but money is rolling in. And here shows up Mary and Joseph. He does not know them. And contrary to all of the popular religious paintings, Mary did not have a halo around her head. Like, who is this? Okay, there was, she was not identified like that. There are just two people who show up. And he says what he means. There is no room in the inn. Look, if there was a broom closet that he could have rented out, that's his business. And he would have rented a room, the broom closet to them. The place was packed with people. Now, there is an old joke. A man goes into a hotel. And he says to the clerk, I need a room. And the clerk says, sorry, but there's no rooms. We're full. And the man says to the clerk, you mean to tell me if the President of the United States showed up here, you wouldn't have a room for him? And the, man, the clerk says, Obviously, if the president showed up, we would have a room for him. He said, good, the president's not coming, I'll take that room. <laughs> now, we all understand that, right? What they would do is they would, if someone of wealth, someone of importance, someone that you're going to get something out of later, you would make it happen. You'd pay somebody to leave, right, because of the benefit of this person of wealth. When Mary and Joseph show up, he doesn't know them. He doesn't know the story. He doesn't know what's going on. Now, maybe he should have, but the man is busy, and he's making money, and so the only thing he can think of is the stable out back. Now, whether he rented that to them or just said you can use that, we'll leave that to your, some other debate. I'm not quite sure on that, but anyway, that's where they ended up. He was so busy with his work, so busy making money, that he missed 
the first Christmas. You know, when you buy a nativity scene that is so popular in everybody's houses, the innkeeper isn't one of them there. He's the closest man on the scene, and he is not there. Why? He was so busy working and so busy making money that he missed it. Now, you tell me, is that not a Christmas tradition being carried out all over this place? Too busy making money, too busy with work, and missing Christmas. This is a Christmas tradition. I trust that none of us are involved in this particular one. The innkeeper was too busy with his work. The second characters we have, the group of people we have, are the shepherds. The shepherds played a part in Christmas, that first Christmas. Have you ever put yourself in their position? Uh, it's, it's interesting to, to, to put yourself back in the time. Here you've got a bunch of guys, who knows how many. <clears throat> They're at night. Can you think of a more boring job than that? You're sitting there watching sheep. And what are the sheep doing? <laughs> Nothing. It'd be okay if they were fighting each other. You know, if there was some action going on, but there's nothing going on. It's at night, the sheep are asleep. So here's a bunch of guys sitting around doing nothing. You can almost imagine that they'd have to have a, a campfire there. It's what you do at night. The stars are out, and they're just sitting doing nothing, talking about nothing to themselves. Now think about how calm and peaceful that is. It's all real quiet. You don't want to get the sheep all riled up how quiet it is, and they're all just quietly talking, get into that nice, smooth, calm scene, and then, wham, there's an angel right there. <laughs> Put yourself in that position. And what happened? Oh, don't tell me you'd be all brave and all of that. <laughs> you would do exactly what these guys did. They were scared to death. You are staring an angel in the face, my friend. That is not one of those brave situations. That's the kind that you swallow your tongue on, you blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And they're standing there about to have a heart attack. And the angel says, oh, hold on, come on, come on, calm down. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Now, at this moment, they are told the story and they are given instructions. This is how you're going to find this baby. Then all of a sudden, the whole sky is filled with angels, and they're all singing. Put yourself into the seeing this, and then it's all gone. And it's back to pure quiet, a campfire, and they're all just sitting there. You know, at this moment, they have to make a decision. Do we just settle back in and let this go, or do we get up and go? What they decided was, we're going to get up and go. You know what? If they would have decided differently, they had their instructions. If they would have decided to not obey, knock two or three more characters out of your manger scene, right? Had they not gone, they would not have been part of your nativity set. But they got up and they went. And you know what the Bible says about them? They rejoiced 
and could not find, couldn't wait to tell everybody they ran into of what they had just seen. You know, we often wonder why God's people don't rejoice and why we don't have this incredible urge to tell everybody around us. You know why? Most likely it's because we didn't do the first part, the obeying. They got their instructions and had to decide to obey. When they obeyed, they got there and found something worth rejoicing over and couldn't wait to tell everybody. I think there's a secret for us in here, a tradition we ought to start following. When we get the instructions, we just obey them. And then we rejoice and see and have a desire to communicate this. This is a, tradition, a tr Christmas tradition set by the shepherds worth repeating. The, the, the innkeeper, he was too busy with his work and making money. He missed it. The shepherds, they obeyed. And that gave them a cause to rejoice and something to tell everyone. Number three, the wise men. Now here we have a little controversy. The controversy is where and when did the wise men see the Lord Jesus? Now I know that every nativity set basically has the wise men in it. But this is a, de a debated matter, and we'll leave that to somebody else to try to solve that particular little debate. We talked about them last week, but where did they get their information? I, I am enthused, I am intrigued with, but with the wise men. Where did they get their information? When they saw that star, how did they know that that meant anything? I don't know where they got their information. I don't know. But, you know, their information was very sketchy. They had no name. They had no birthplace. They had no exact date. They had no description. And yet they came. We have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. They acted on the knowledge that they had. My friend, this is a Christmas tradition worth following. They acted on the knowledge that they had. You know, far too often we want from God the whole story. We want to know every single piece of this puzzle that's going to take place. We want to know all the shortcuts. We want to know all the stops. We want to know all the costs. We want to know everything in advance before we start walking. We want to know it so that we can decide on it. When actually... We're supposed to work with the knowledge, with the light that we have. Yes. These men did not have a lot of light, but they said, we're headed west. We know that he's been born, and we're going to, you know what? When they headed west, you know what happened? They got the rest of the light they needed. The Lord brought all the pieces of the puzzle, so they ended up where they needed to be. They didn't have that light to begin with, but they worked with the light that they knew. And each one of us in here, has enough light to take the next step. And this is a tradition that we ought to follow. The wise men had a little bit of information. They knew enough, then they worked with the light that they had, and God gave them their next, the light as they needed it. This is a, a worthwhile Christmas tradition. The innkeeper said it's, I'm, he was just too busy. The shepherds, they obeyed, and they had a cause for rejoicing and then to tell others. The wise men acted on the light that they had and were led step by step. Number four, 
Herod. Herod. For all practical purposes, Herod missed the first Christmas and most likely even the second Christmas. But when Herod became aware of Christmas, what was his reaction? What was Herod's viewpoint about Christmas? Herod viewed this as, like an enemy. Now, if we think, we all know what he did, okay? Because uh, he didn't know the exact birth and he didn't know the exact person and all of that. So this horrific thing that he does, he murders a whole group of innocent infants. It's pretty hard for us to get our mind to wrap around. That a man would be so wicked that he would murder a whole bunch of innocent infants children. It's a pretty terrible crime. And when we hear that, we decide, you know what, I can't be following any of Herod's traditions, because he's just way too horrific. And I have never and don't ever intended doing anything like that. But before you just push this tradition aside, ask yourself, why did Herod do what he did? Tim actually alluded to this in Sunday school. He didn't expand on it. I was grateful for that because I didn't want my message to be preached uh, while he was teaching. He did a great job in Sunday school, but he alluded to this. Why did Herod do what he did? Because the wise men came and said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? If he would have said, where is he that is born king of the Philistines? Or where is he that is born king of the Midianites? Or name any other national, would Herod have been upset? He wouldn't have cared at all. But he said, where, they said, hey, where is he that's born king of the Jews? This is a problem for Herod because Herod's king. So this person is a threat to the throne. So Herod murders all these babies to protect his own throne. Yeah. Now we start getting into the brass tacks of things. Here's the reality. You only have one throne, and that's the throne of your heart. We'd like it to be a two-seater throne, but it is not that at all. There is only one throne, and, that on the, and that's your heart, in your heart. And we sometimes do very horrific things in order to maintain sitting on that throne. It is not your throne to sit on. The throne of your heart was made for the Lord Jesus. And do not follow in Herod's tradition of trying to maintain a throne that's not yours. Horrific things happen when, this takes when, when you do this. And the Christmas tradition that Herod set is one that we should not follow. The innkeeper is too busy making money. He missed the Christmas. The shepherds, they obeyed the instructions given them at Christmas and had a reason to rejoice and to tell others. The wise men, they acted on the light that they had and were given more light. Herod tries to keep himself on the throne. Fifth character of Christmas is Simeon. Of all the Christmas characters, this is one of my favorites. Simeon has been promised that he will not die 
until he has seen the Lord's Christ. He's been promised you are going to live until you have seen this baby. What a promise. I, I absolutely love reading through this part where, where Simeon meets the Lord for the first time. But you know what this means? This means that Simeon's first Christmas will be his last. Now let that sink in for a second. When Simeon celebrates his first Christmas, he knows that he will not be around to celebrate another one. You know, this is something that we ought not just slip, let slip out of our notice. For all things being equal... This Christmas may be very well, for some of us, our last Christmas. We each like to assume that our Christmases stretch out before us. That's because we're not paying attention. You realize that none of us have a guarantee on life? If you've been paying any attention, you realize that life is very fragile. And your age, whatever age that happens to be, is no guarantee that next Christmas you will be celebrating. We were opening, we were working with the Christmas trees. We opened up one of the trees and out fell a newspaper clipping. Macy picked it up and it was of a teenage boy, maybe 17 year old boy who was killed in a car wreck. You know how that it was clipped out of the newspaper. How that article got in with the Christmas tree, you got to know that there's a lot of heartache involved in there someplace when that's, if you can get my meaning, if you've got kids, you understand all that. None of us are guaranteed. We all act like we have some long-term deal here. They used to say about the soldiers in World War II, the guys who were flying in, the paratroopers are going in on D-Day when they were flying in, the guy stood up and said to him, all right, it's going to be a tough deal. It's, we're going in. It's a very serious thing that we're doing here. And two out of three of you are not going to make it. And they said that the average soldier looked both guys on both sides and said, I really feel sorry for you two. And this is how we live. We act like our Christmases are going to extend on forever. My friend Simeon only got one Christmas. And when he celebrated, he knew that would be his last. But you know what the Bible tells us about Simeon? He was ready for it. He was ready for this to be his last Christmas. He worshipped the Lord when he saw him and was prepared to go home. It's a pretty decent Christmas tradition. We all ought to be ready we all ought to be worshiping. I just, I put myself in Simeon's position. He has a front row seat. Very few people know what's actually going on here, but Simeon knows. And when he holds that little baby in his hands and knows that this is the Christ, can you feel the joy that would just flood over him? This is how Simeon was living in worship of his Lord and ready for this to be his last Christmas. He's ready to meet the Lord. This is a tradition worth repeating. The innkeeper was too busy. The shepherds obeyed and had cause to rejoice. The wise men acted on the knowledge they had. Herod 
was trying to keep his throne. Simeon, he knew it was his last Christmas and he worshipped and was ready to see the Lord. Number six, Mary and Joseph. I don't know if you've ever thought long and hard about what this first Christmas meant to them. It's very interesting if you'd ever sit down and think long. Let me lead you down the path. You'll have to take it farther later on. First off, I want to make sure that you know that these two had been walking with the Lord a long time before the angel appeared to either one of them. We often get the idea that we can just live however we want and dictate the course of our own lives and make our own choices, and then God just somehow just overturns all those decisions and blesses us. And beyond measure, we're blessed in spite of all of our selfish decisions. But it's just not so. Mary and Joseph had been walking with the Lord for a long time without knowing the path that the Lord was actually taking them down. Now we look back with full knowledge from our position in 2021. It's all brightly lit and we look back on them. But do you understand what the details of the first Christmas meant to Mary and Joseph? Long before anybody ever thought about making them a prominent uh, piece in the manger scene. Long before anybody ever thought about that. When they accepted what was going on, they were a subject of public ridicule. It meant disgrace. It meant shame on their families. It meant rumors and innuendos. It's going to mean the uprooting from their homeland and having to live in Egypt for several years. Don't pass that over. They have to uproot from their homeland and move to a foreign country for several years. It means that the government is going to be so set against them that they are going to have to... To they're, they're, the government is trying to wipe you out of existence. Have you ever thought about the pressure of that? If you've ever had the tax man after you, you're like, wow, this is tough. We were talking about something way beyond that. When the king is trying to destroy you, this is pressure beyond words. Think about all the parents who lost children to Herod's horrific act. Now, where do you suppose they laid the blame for that when Mary and Joseph come back from Egypt? You say, well, that's not fair. Whoever said anybody did anything fair? This is what was the first Christmas looked like we look at it like, oh, yes, they're so blessed and everything. But when they were put into this position, it meant facing events and situations for the rest of their life that they could not really even understand. Long before the future generations would call them blessed and make figurines of them in their honor, they would be having to pay a price for the first Christmas. They chose to follow the Lord no matter what the cost. Neither of them were ignorant of this. Think about Joseph. 
in, a, in the, 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 the things that he's thinking before he has the dream, the angel appears to him. He knows what this means. Think about Mary. She says to the angel, this is what's going to be said. But can you not hear Mary's response to the angel? Can you not hear in her words, choosing to follow the Lord no matter what the cost, when she says, be it unto me according to thy word. Is this one of your Christmas traditions? Is one of your Christmas traditions saying, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. I don't care what it costs. I will pay whatever price has to be paid. You know what? If they had been unwilling, would the first Christmas still have taken place? And the answer to that is yes. It would have been to others. But we would not be calling Mary and Joseph blessed today. But their Christmas tradition was they were willing to pay the price to follow the Lord no matter what the cost. The innkeeper was too busy. The shepherd obeyed and got to rejoice. The wise men acted on the knowledge that they had. Herod was trying to maintain his throne that did not belong to him. Simeon, it was his first and his last Christmas, but he worshipped and was ready for this to be his only Christmas. Mary and Joseph were willing to pay the cost to do the Lord's will. There's one other character from Christmas that I want to briefly mention, not, not because he's a minor character. He is the main character. The Lord Jesus is the main character of Christmas. He's the re he is Christmas. Without the Lord Jesus, there is no Christmas. There's no reason to celebrate. And the actions of all the other characters, you realize they have no meaning apart from the Lord Jesus? They just fade into the woodwork like so many other actions and activities and events that have happened in history. They just fade into nothingness. Their actions mean nothing without Christ. And there's so much that could and should be said about this tiny baby at the first Christmas. But I'm not going to say it. Because the scene is too holy. The meaning is too deep. And the, the events are so far beyond our human words to express. To speak the words would seem to diminish the truth. So let me quietly bring you to the manger. And let each person learn what the Holy Spirit will teach him. It is the Spirit of God himself who will have to reconcile these words because the mind, your mind, cannot do it on its own. Let me give you three pictures, and these will be easy for your mind to hold on to and to see. Number one, envision in your mind, look at the babe wrapped in rags, lying in a manger. Your mind doesn't have any trouble seeing that. You've seen pictures of enough. You can see that the babe, picture number one, the babe wrapped in rags lying in a manger. Number two, see that tiny figure as Mary picks him up and holds him very close, like billions of mothers have done. Okay? Billions of mothers have done that. You can see that in your mind, Mary picking up this tiny babe 
and looking and holding it close. Third picture. Envision Simeon holding the Lord Jesus and looking down into that tiny face. Okay, can you get all those three pictures in your mind? Those are fairly easy because it's normal human experience and we can put faces to that. So you have the Lord Jesus laying in the manger wrapped in rags. You have Mary who picks up the Lord Jesus and holds him close. And you have Simeon who holds the Lord Jesus in his hands and looks into that tiny face. Now, try to mesh those scenes with these words. Matthew 1, 23. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. As you see, as you envision Mary reaching to hold that child close, reconcile that with Colossians 2.9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When Simeon holds the child and looks into the, his face, John 14, 9, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Yes. See that babe lying in rags in a manger and hear Hebrews 12, 2, Who for the joy that was set before him. You've gotten to the, the edge of the manger. You're going to have to go in with, by the, with the Holy Spirit yourself to actually get that to mesh. Because those three pictures and those scriptures without the Holy Spirit do not mesh whatsoever. You cannot make those go together. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. This is no typical event. And these are not typical scenes. And Christ was not a typical child. With all that in view, the traditions that we carry on in our Christmases had better be the right ones. Which Christmas tradition are you keeping? Let's pray.